Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Tom Butler, CEO of ICMM, which stands for the International Council of Mining and Metals who are formed to improve sustainable development performance in the mining and metals industry. Um, It brings together 27 mining and metal companies and over 30 national and regional mining associations and a global commodity associations and now serves as an agent for change and continual improvement on issues relating to the mining and sustainable development. So that's a brief overview. <coughs> Sorry, that's a brief overview. So now I just want to introduce our guests and get a more in-depth understanding of the success that ICMM is having and the impact it's having on the mining industry. And also, we want to talk about um, a recently launched Tains Dam and Responsible Investment Initiatives um, by the ICMM. So I'm keen to know a little bit more about that and understand uh, the importance of those uh, initiatives. So I'd like to welcome Tom Butler. How are you doing, Tom? Very good. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me on. No worries. I appreciate your time as well. So um, just wanted to give the audience an overview of um, your background, um, probably sort of when you started your career up to present day. Um, I know you you do a lot of conferences and I've, se- I've seen you at uh, quite a few conferences. So I imagine a lot of the audience do know you, but the people that don't, just wanted to give us a brief overview of, uh, of your career. Okay. Yep. Uh, sure. So I've uh, I've got a uh, original uh, degree in engineering, and uh, for my early part of my career, I was a, an engineer, getting getting my hands dirty uh, in the North Sea and then in a big factory in France, and then I switched into uh, finance by you know, sort of the traditional route for engineers, which is to do an MBA, and uh, for um, eighteen years before doing this job, I was working in the International Finance Corporation. IFC, which is the private sector of the private sector arm of the World Bank, and most of that time was actually spent uh, working in the mining team, uh, financing a, a range of mining projects uh, in emerging market countries. Some very small, some very large. So uh, gave me great sort of um, training uh, in mining, and uh, and then five years ago, 2015, I started uh, this job. Yeah. And so, yeah, just wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your role as the, the CEO and a little bit about the ICMM and what your, I suppose, what your day to day role is, but also what you stand for and your organisation. Sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so as you said, ICMM is a membership organisation. It's got uh, currently 27 member companies um, and those companies uh, uh, tend to be the larger companies and they come from all over the world. So there's a nice geographical balance. Uh, we've got companies from Australia, Latin America, Africa, um, North America and Europe and uh, and also a nice um, commodity mix. So, you know, gold companies, um, uh, the big diversifies people like Anglo and so on. And then uh, and then, um, you know, aluminium and, 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 and so on. And the organization was set up about 20 years ago and um, 
essentially was uh, was founded, as you said, to enhance the environmental and social performance of the industry, but also to, to build recognition of the, the contribution that the industry makes, especially um, at the local community level and, and sort of uh, the host country level. Um, over the years, the organization's made a number of uh, commitments. Uh, there were an initial set of founding commitments, and then um, you know, depending on particular um, developments in, in society or expectations from society, we've uh, developed additional commitments, and uh, the members all sign up to uh, you know, deliver on those commitments. And quite, quite a lot of what I do is um, think about uh, you know, the direction that um, the external world is going in and um, you know, how uh, the industry and the members should be responding to that. Um, and then also quite a lot of knowledge sharing, convening the members to, uh, you know, to, to learn and exchange knowledge and information about different challenges that they're facing on the environmental and social front. The other thing to mention is that we've got um, a council, uh, which is the CEOs of the, the member companies. So that's a little bit like my board. And um, they have committed to meet uh, personally uh, twice a year, at least twice a year. And in fact, with, the, with us all going virtual, they've been meeting more frequently than that. And uh, they essentially act as the, the, the highest uh, level committee in, in the in the membership and then beneath them there are working groups on all sorts of different topics that uh, you know do the legwork mm. um, and then the final thing to mention is that we've got uh, association members as well either national or commodity associations currently it stands at 37 and we try to reach the rest of the industry through those associations so they are sort of like affiliate members and they have access to all of the knowledge and guidance that we produce as well mm. So how have you actually grown as an organisation? And obviously you've got different, I suppose, silos um, in terms of your, your different working groups. How have you actually grown as an organisation? So when we started off, we were nine uh, member companies, nine founding companies. And uh, as I said, we're now at 27. And it's a, it's, it's a sort of self-identifies as a leadership organisation. So it's not, uh, it's not simply a question of, you know, signing, uh, paying at the door, if you like. Uh, there's quite a, a rigorous um, admission process involving an, an independent panel. So I don't actually decide who gets to join. It's decided by a, a, a panel of experts who are independent of ICMM. And, uh, you know, as we've grown, we've experimented with different ways of working. But essentially, we, we have working groups for every topic. And currently, we have uh, almost 20 topics that are either priority topics where the members really want us to um, you know develop new guidance or or you know develop new commitments and then other topics where they want us to just keep an eye on what's happening externally uh, you know maintain a watching brief and so the the level of effort that goes into the working group uh, depends on the the topic and the members decide you know which topics are important and you know over the years um, you know we've created working groups for topics that have sort of been bubbling away and then and then other ones have uh, fallen off because we've you know essentially feel that we've addressed the the issue and those working groups are supervised by um, sustainability experts or subject matter specialists in the members and then as I said ultimately at the top level it's council who you know direct the, the strategy and uh, direction of travel going forward. Uh, you mentioned obviously companies have to go through a, I suppose, rigorous process to um, to obviously come onto onto your sort of program. 
what's the criteria that they have to meet? And I suppose generalistic, it don't have to be specific, but generally, what kind of criteria would they have to meet? Yeah, so the, the, the panel, so the independent panel consists of a corporate governance specialist, a uh, environmental specialist and a social specialist. And what they do is they look at the, the applicant company and they come to a view as to how close they are to complying with the ICMM uh, member commitments. And we generally uh, won't admit a company unless uh, any gaps that the panel finds can be closed out within two years. So, you know, if the panel looks at a company and finds that they're a long way from being in a position to meet the ICMM commitments, they'll essentially say to them, you know, you need to fix A, B and C, come back in two or three years time. Um, but usually what they do is they, they, they'll find, you know, they'll find gaps um, that can be closed out. They agree an action plan. And then we admit to companies on, on the basis that they'll complete the action plan within two years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you recently launched the Global Industry Standard on Tailings Management along with the uh, UN Environmental Programme and the Principles of uh, Responsible Investment. Um, can you give us an overview of the, of, of the standard um, and how it was actually uh, developed? Yeah, sure. So obviously the, the, um, the reason we kicked this initiative off was, was because of the Brumadino tragedy, which yeah. I think uh, you know, was a big wake-up call for the whole industry. Um, we took a very different approach to um, the the way we uh, you know developed this this project compared to uh, in the past because we uh, we convened a, a multi stakeholder group to put the review together so that's why we involved uh, uh, the UN and and PRI and the reason for that was because we thought you know given the the scale of the uh, the the, the tragedy that we really had to look at this from all angles to see what we were missing and what we could do better. So the three of us co-convened uh, the review. We jointly selected a, an independent chair to run the review. And then he in turn uh, selected a, a bunch of global experts with expertise in different topics to, you know, to work on putting the review together. And I, so the most important feature of this review was that it was multi-stakeholder. And, you know, the idea of doing a multi-stakeholder review is that um, if you've got the UN at the table and you've got investors at the table, the end product is much more likely to be credible and to be accepted uh, from all sides. And I think that's the case. You know, it's hard work getting there because, of course, everyone has different views and there's a lot of, um, you know, horse trading and compromises in, in terms of reaching something that all three parties can live with. But at the end of the day, once you've all signed off on it, it's very robust and, you know, will, will be widely taken up, we hope. And the, you know, the, the, the standard itself tries to look very holistically and comprehensively at all of the issues um, pertaining to tailings facilities, not just technical, but the environmental and social aspects. And then, and then also doing, doing, you know, specifying what needs to be done um, in, in case there is a catastrophe in order to minim minimize the, um, the number of deaths and the and the sort of negative impacts and it's very it's very um, clear in terms of what um, environment sorry what independent sort of oversight is needed depending on the on the consequence classification so higher higher level or higher consequence um, tailings facilities will require greater levels of independent oversight and it's also very clear on the disclosure and transparency by operating companies uh, you know about uh, how they're managing these tailings facilities, and and then the you know the other 
big feature is that it's a global um, standard. So, uh, you know, we the, the 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 independent chair ran a global consultation. Uh, he, you know, talked to people in 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 all five continents, and he put this together with experts from all over the world. And and you know, what we'd like to see is something that is taken up globally. Now we're expecting that because of the UN and PRI, who are of course global organizations it will be taken up globally and uh, and therefore investors you know when they're looking at a particular company that's got assets in several countries will will be able to get some comfort that you know all of those assets are being run on a similar basis and you know consistently handled by the company and was there a separate um uh, initiative you done for responsible for investment or was that part of the actual tailings management plan uh, no, I, th- I think you're referring to the mining principles, which we launched at the beginning yeah. of this year. So th- that was a separate um, initiative. It wasn't, it, it, there was external consultation, but it wasn't a multi-stakeholder group putting it together. It was put together by ICMM, but we consulted okay. with outside parties when we put it together. And that basically, that was an upgrade on our member commitments. And it's essentially you know in in the past the member commitments were mostly at the corporate level where you know you would um you would require the sort of appropriate corporate policies to be in place the upgraded mining principles include uh, about 32 performance expectations which are taken down at a granular level to, to each site so the idea is that every single site within a company would assess itself against these 32 performance expectations. And then there's another six at, at the corporate level. So 38 altogether. And it's, so it's things like, I mean, just to give you an example, the principle used to be, there used to be a principle around respect human rights. And there was some guidance about what that meant. Now we've got seven very granular performance expectations, which define what we mean by respecting human rights. So things like no child labor, having a grievance mechanism in place, uh, applying the IFC uh, uh, resettlement procedures if you have to resettle a community. And and that was really driven by end consumers, people like Apple and Tesla and BMW getting increasingly uh, concerned about um, the supply chain, where are their metals coming from? And they want to know if they're buying you know copper from Freeport, for example, which site did that come from? And, and show us uh, show us what what rules you're applying at that particular site. Um, but of course, investors have be, have been become interested in this as well because it's uh, increasingly ESG is a is of concern to investors, and so they're paying attention to this as well. So with that, I've just thought of something um, around blockchain. And the obviously introduction of block, uh, blockchain with the, the whole supply chain. So everyone within that chain knows everything, i.e. from where materials uh, have come from, the whole process to, to the end user. Yeah. Um, I, I take, take it from what you've just obviously described, that's going to make that whole process a lot easier if, if blockchain was implemented. Yeah. In in theory, in print, in theory, it should make things easier. In practice, I think people have been struggling uh, struggling with it, and you know there were a few challenges. We actually ran a, a conference on blockchain blockchain uh, two or three years ago. Uh, you know, so one of the challenges is if you're following a very complex supply chain. You know, so take for example, cobalt, which goes into batteries. You know, comes out of the the Congo. Uh, 
probably goes to Korea to be uh, refined, then it might go to China to be refined again. And as each stage, you're you're mixing, um, uh, you know, streams of product from different suppliers. And so designing um, designing a way for blockchain to follow that is complicated. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's complicated. And then the other big challenge is that you've always got to at some point the blockchain's got to start. So you've always got a quality of entry issue. So you still need a human being or some kind of um, assurance process at the at, right at the beginning before you start the first step of the blockchain. And yeah. so I think those are the two things that people are struggling with. I know that there's, there's a lot of people doing some good work on it. Um, I don't think it's, it's, uh, you know, fully there yet. Mm. And, and the other you know, big challenge with blockchain, of course, is that it's uh, it's very energy intensive, so it's not very green. Yeah, I understand. Um, so why is it such uh, an important milestone for the industry um, with the obviously Italian Dam management uh, initiative that you've brought in? I think that I think the you know, first of all, we're hoping that this will be a, a you know a big. Um, step forward in terms of minimizing the risk for the management of tailings facilities. Uh, you know, one of the things that many people realized, investors and others after Brumadinho was that um, there was very little information in the public domain about tailings facilities. We don't, we still really don't know how many there are in the world. Um, so this is going to, um, you know, introduce a lot more transparency around that. And, and more importantly, you know, hopefully um, minimize the risk and of, of, an event like this in the future and if there is an event like this minimize the impact so you know that's a milestone and then the other the other key thing is that the way we did this was as i said new for us in that it was multi-stakeholder we you know we sat down with um other other influential groups um representing countries and investors and um as i said it's it's much harder work going through the process multi-stakeholder processes are are you know, harder work, but the product is more robust at the end. And I think it provides a model for challenge, for, for taking on some other big challenges, whether it's in mining or other sectors. Mm. Um, the ICMET members have committed to implement the standard. Um, can you tell us what that means in practice um, and the sort of time frame involved? Yeah, so the, the tailings standard puts uh, tailings facilities into several categories and there are higher consequence uh, categories and then lower consequence and the members have committed to get the the higher risk categories into uh, conformance within three years and then all of the rest uh, within five years from launch date which was last month and essentially that means that um, you know if you take a high consequence facility they will be um, fully conforming with all the appropriate disclosures and independent oversight uh, within three years and there's we, we you know we were conservative in in the three years because obviously with COVID there's quite a lot of uncertainty um, so so people didn't want to overcommit. but you know I would like to think that that um, many sites if not all will be in conformance well before the three years uh, we're currently developing some very comprehensive guidance to support companies that are uh, wanting to implement the uh, tailing standard and that will be published by the end of this year and, and like the standard will be available on our website for everyone to use, not just members. Um, and, and should uh, I, you know, I hope make it, um, you know, uh, much easier for, for companies that are seeking to implement the, the standard. Yeah. So that's a, that's the priority at the moment. 
Um, and uh, as I said, by the end of the year, hopefully we'll be going public with, with the implementation guidance as well. Yeah. Um, ICMM members, uh, membership includes the world's biggest mining companies, obviously, as you mentioned. What advice would you give to smaller players in the industry as they go about implementing this standard? Well, the first thing to say is because it's... Um, because there's a, uh, as I said, the tailing standard has a, um, a, a consequence classification system, it's, it's unlikely that the smaller companies will have the, the highest impact tailings facilities in their operation. And the tailing standard, in terms of the amount of um, effort and resources um, and, and sort of level of independent oversight, is, is much less onerous for the lower consequence facility. So, you know, first thing to say for smaller companies is don't don't feel that this is something, um, you know, that that's not applicable to smaller companies because it's been designed to, to you know, to address the the full range. Uh, the second the second bit of advice is that I think um, because we had uh, PRI involved and PRI represents something like 110 trillion dollars worth of assets at the moment. Um, it's very likely that uh, that investor group is going to be pushing for uh, implementation of this standard by anyone they invest in. So, so it's not this is not just an ICMM uh, commitment or an ICMM standard. It's something that uh, investors are going to be asking everyone to uh, to do. And uh, uh, so, I, I, you know, my advice would be don't don't think that this is just a big company thing. Um, take a look at it and think about the implementation. Obviously, there's a bit of time because, uh, you know, we're taking three years to get there. Um, but I think it's something that um, uh, we will see global take up and that um, any, anyone who's trying to do this uh, responsibly should be considering. Yeah. Um, and is there any other sort of focus areas that you're, you're looking at or any other initiatives um, that you're either currently working on or is there other initiatives that you feel that you could start to work on and bring in uh, and bring to bring to the market over the next few years? Yeah, sure. So I, I mentioned the. I mean, the other big um, piece of work is the mining principles, which we've uh, discussed, which is the um, the upgraded um, principles with performance expectations. We launched that earlier this year. The members are in the implementation phase at the moment, and um, the first disclosures will be coming out. Uh, next year and um i you know i think the i think these are also of interest to non-members because they provide a, a good framework for what good practice looks like at the site level uh so i'd encourage anyone um who's listening to take a look at that if they if they're wondering you know how they, they should be addressing esg issues uh, in their operation um the other initiatives that we're working on um one is um something that we call ICSV, which is uh, which stands for Innovation for Cleaner, Safer Vehicles, and that's a that's a um, a global initiative with this, the mobile equipment supply chain. So we're sitting down together with the likes of people like Caterpillar, Hitachi, uh, Komatsu, all all the big mobile equipment suppliers, and it's it's essentially trying to achieve three things. One is to uh, improve collision avoidance technology on these vehicles. Uh, because we found that when we looked at the fatalities in ICMM, about um, 20 to 30% on average every year are caused by interactions with vehicles, either you know, a vehicle hitting another vehicle or a vehicle hitting a person. 
So if you can improve the collision avoidance technology, then hopefully we can take a big portion of fatalities straight out of the statistics every year. Um, the second part of it is looking at diesel particulate matter, which is a big health issue, especially underground. So the, the, uh, the emissions that come from diesel engines, basically. Uh, how to accelerate minimization of that, either uh, through mitigating the emissions um, or uh, switching away from diesel. Uh, which could be hydrogen or could be electric or you know modular battery it's technology agnostic but it's just about accelerating the transition mm -hmm. and then the third um longer term and, and probably most ambitious of the three is uh on the big um open pit vehicles how to switch them away from uh, uh carbon emissions because of you know obviously the impact on climate change um so again you know could we switch that to overhead electric or modular battery and uh, how quickly can we do that um, and then the final the final big piece of work is um, around thinking through the implications of automation so um, you know traditionally the mining industry um, has had a very positive impact in terms of job creation especially in developing countries which are more labor intensive and as we move into automation that's likely to change and so the question is how do we um, maximize our positive impact when we're not able to generate the same number of jobs and and how can we think about that ahead of time so for example you know if you automate a, a mine and um, you're uh, you, you know you're moving to driverless vehicles um, that you, you you would still need jobs but they would be different types of jobs you're gonna have to service the the IT you're gonna have to you're gonna need software experts you're going to need people, you know, who, who provide the, the connectivity, um, the, the Wi-Fi and the fiber optics. And those are, um, those are different skills to driving vehicles. Um, and are there ways that we can help uh, host countries prepare for the need for those skills so that we don't end up just importing you know, people from uh, North America or from UK developed countries to you know, provide these skills? Because that way, you know, we'll be able to maintain the the positive impact for the host country so we're thinking through that it's still a work in progress it's a big big one to solve and it will have to be solved collaboratively with with other big entities um but but we're determined to play a role in that yeah um, and lastly last question um how do you see the future of mining um and obviously we're we're uh, as we're speaking um we're still in obviously this uh, covid situation and lockdown how do you see the uh, the mining industry over the say next three to five years well i mean mining is always going to be needed mining is at the start of a huge number of supply chains um, you know as, as people always say if it isn't grown it's mined so we're, we're going to be needed um, but there's going to be increasing pressure um in from investors and others on doing mining responsibly um in the last 18 months, I've seen investors paying a lot more attention to ESG. I think it started with uh, a, a lot of concerns from their own clients about climate change and you know, what were they doing about climate change. And um, that's extended to concerns about human rights, uh, social impacts in the supply chain. And I think that will continue. I think, I think we're not going to go backwards on that. Um, and it's, a, it's about preserving access to capital for the industry. We've got to get uh, this right. And if you want to be a winner, you've got to get it right. If you want to be able to continue to access capital, 
and we've seen that um, you know we've seen people disinvesting from companies that aren't meeting investors ESG requirements so I think that's a big trend you know that's that's going to continue and I think another trend is going to be um, uh, what what I was what I was just um, talking about the uh, the uh, you know concerns about climate change which are linked to ESG and but also linked to you know things like our initiative for cleaner safer vehicles uh, and then automation digitization um, that's going to affect everyone you know over the centuries people have been concerned about automation when 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 Britain had its industrial revolution everyone thought it was going to result in mass unemployment and it turned out it didn't um, but you know having having gone through that in 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 sort of multiple generations i think we've learned some lessons and we can prepare for the next one um you know in a good way if we think uh, about it ahead of time yeah um really appreciate your time tom uh in um sharing your knowledge and telling us uh, more about the uh, icmm um if our audience wants to reach out to you and ask you any questions or even wants to find out more um about how they potentially become could become a member how can they go about doing that and do you have any social media are, are you on any social media platforms yep well? yep so we're on uh, i'm on linkedin i'm on um twitter i'm on facebook uh, my email is tom butler at icmm.com and uh, we've got a we've got a, a website as well and if if people are interested in following icmm they can subscribe to our newsletter and uh, you know, we keep, we try to keep everyone on the newsletter updated as to what we're doing. Yeah. And is that on your website that they can yes, subscribe? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. I'll include that in the show notes company, this uh, podcast. This episode. Great. So fantastic. Um, yeah. If anyone wants to reach out to you, they can obviously go, go to the website and email you as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, really appreciate your time again. Um, hope the audience has um, got some um, understanding of what, what you do and the standards that you bring into the industry. And um, yeah, please uh, please think about it once you've uh, listened to this. And if you um, feel anyone else that you know could benefit from listening to this podcast, appreciate if you can uh, share uh, this episode with them as well. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining!